0: God inclined my heart to you. Unite my heart to fear your holy name. And last, satisfy me with your steadfast love. Father, we're unworthy to hear your word. We're unworthy to have your promises. We're unworthy to be offered your salvation in Christ. Lord, help us to come as those who are unworthy. Help us to humble ourselves. Help us to desire nothing except for what you want for us. Let everything else aside. I pray this morning as we open up your word, Lord, help us to feast on your grace. Help me to preach it faithfully. I pray that you would exalt your holy name. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Well, this morning we're continuing on in a a sermon series. I believe this will be the third in this series in the first part of the book of Genesis called Genesis Beginnings. And we're going to go from Genesis chapter 1 to Genesis chapter 11 some of the most important answers to questions that everyone asks are right here in these chapters why did god create us what purpose does he have for us how did he design us how should we live our lives for him what's his intention uh, for all of this some some of the most important questions some of the most Vital questions um, are going to be answered in these 11 chapters of the book of Genesis. Here's a weird trivia question for you, and and it sounds like the start of a joke, but it's not. It's for real. Why are all the noses missing on Egyptian statues? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever seen them in books or images online for real, all the noses and sometimes like ears are missing off of Egyptian statues and I initially thought the reason for that was time those statues are very old, those carvings or paintings are are very old so wear and tear I thought was the answer but I looked this up this week and found out in most cases that's not the reason why. In most cases they were intentionally chiseled off. They were taken off by vandals who wanted to intentionally deface these statues, carvings or or paintings. Now, why would they do that? Well, the answer... Be they were looking to rob, they were looking to get money, but it also could be more theological than practical. When those statues were made, it was believed that the God that this statue represented would come and inhabit this statue. The image of this statue would be, to them and their belief, a living representation or image of the God that was made to represent. Now keep this in mind and listen to our key verses today. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make man... In our image, according to our likeness, He will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So, God created man in His own image, He created him in the image of God, He created them male and female. What word did you hear in those two verses that connect us to those statues way back in ancient Egypt? We heard it repeated three times in those two verses, and the word is image. Image. We are created in the image of God, while those false statues Were created by man in the image of some false God, we are created in the image of the one true Almighty God to represent Him right here in creation. And I'll explain this more in just a minute. Let's first pause and read the rest of our text this morning. Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 6, and then we're going to read down to verse 27. Then God said, Let there be an expanse between the waters, separating the water from the water. So God made the expanse and separated the water under the expanse from the water above the expanse, and it was so. God created the expanse sky. Evening came, and then morning, the second day. Then God said, let the water under the sky be gathered into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the gathering of the water he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth produce vegetation... Bearing Seed-bearing plants and fruit trees on the earth, bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And it was so. The earth produced vegetation, seed-bearing plants according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Evening came, and then morning, the third day. Then God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the light from the night. They will serve as signs for seasons and for days and years. They will be lights in the expanse of the sky to provide light on the earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule over the day and the lesser light to rule over the night, as well as the stars. God placed them in the expanse of the sky to provide light on the earth, to rule the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness." And God saw that it was good. Evening came and then morning the fourth day. Then God said, let the water swarm with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. So God created the large sea creatures and every living creature that moves and swarms in the water according to their kind. He also created every winged creature according to its kind and God saw that it was good. God blessed them. Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the waters of the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. Evening came, and then morning, the fifth day. Then God said, let the earth produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creatures that crawl, and the wildlife of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. So God made the wildlife of the earth according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that crawl on the ground according to their kinds, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our own image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. This is God's holy word. So in this passage, we see masses amount of truth. We see a God that's powerful enough just to speak. And all of creation came into existence. We see him personally defining things. We see him designing all of creation and calling it very good. And we see this buildup happening in the days of creation. We see day one, there was light. Day two, the sky and the atmosphere. Day three, dry land, seas and plants. Day four, the stars, the sun, the moon. Day five, birds and sea creatures. Day six, land creatures. And then at the very pinnacle of God's creation, he creates us as we'll see as we go into the next chapter in a very special way. He creates humanity. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. So from the very beginning of the Bible, from the very first chapter of the Bible, we get a question answered that's on the heart of every man and woman and boy and girl at some point in their life. And the question is, what am I here for? And the answer that we're immediately given right here from the beginning is we are here to represent God. We are made in his image. And there's something about how God made us that sets us apart from all the rest of creation that he has made. It sets us apart from a, a rock or a tree or, or any animal. And this is called the image of God. To no other creature did God say, I've made you in my image. What is the image of God? Well, many things. For one, we can do more mentally than any other creature, including animals. Where can you find a monkey who is able to build a skyscraper? Or form the steel that's needed to build a skyscraper? Where can you find a monkey that can write the history of monkeys? There aren't any. We have deeper and more complex emotion than the animals. No one can argue that our pets don't have emotion. They, they have emotion. But what one of our pets can think deeply about their emotion? What one of our pets can feel happy and sad all at the same time? You can even argue that the way that God has made our bodies show something about him and the way that we represent him in creation, created in his image. But I believe being made in the image of God more than any one of these, and all of those are true, it means two things. One is we are living souls. God breathed the breath and life in us as we're going to see in these chapters and we became living souls. Spiritually, we can relate to God like nothing else in creation can. Our souls are actually immortal. We're going to spend forever in one of two places. So spiritually... We can relate to God. This is the image of God in us. And then also morally, we're made to reflect God in his character like no other creature is called to reflect God in his character. So when we know him spiritually and we walk with God spiritually and follow his commands and do what is right, that's when we reflect the image of God and how he's designed us and made us in the world. People can see what God is like through looking at us in relation to our creator. And we'll talk more about this as we go through Genesis uh, 1 through 11. But this chapter in general and especially how God created people show us that we aren't descendant. Evolved from apes. No, God specially created humanity, man and woman in his own image for a, a special purpose that, that spe- sets us apart. Especially created in the image of God. Now, let's go back here to those Egyptian statues for a moment, without noses or, or mouths. Remember how we talked about how those statues represented the false gods that they were designed to look like. They were images of of gods, but they are false gods. They don't exist. They're they're made with human hands, as well as any idolatrous statue that is made today. This this is true. They don't really exist. They're put together by, by, by people But when the the nose or the mouth of the statue was taken off, it was believed that the God behind the statue was also limited. They couldn't smell because the nose on their idol that they believed that the God inhabited was missing. They couldn't hear because they didn't have ears. They couldn't speak Because their mouth was taken off. Surprisingly, this has an interesting link to scripture. Psalm 115. Listen to this. Their idols are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. Eyes, but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, noses but they cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel, feet but cannot walk. They cannot make a sound with their throats. So going above and beyond what was believed in in pagan Egyptian worship, it wasn't just the idols ...that were missing noses that could not smell... ...or the idols that were missing ears... ...that cannot hear. God says here in Psalm 115... ...that any idol is just like that. They cannot hear because there is no such thing as another God. They cannot smell or talk... Because these statues are just that. They're made of stone or brick or wood made by human hands. But here's an astonishing truth of this and those who would worship these idols. Let me just read one verse further in Psalm 115. It's added here, those who make them are just like them, as are all who trust in them. So it's not only those idols, spiritually speaking, who cannot hear or see, the people who make them, the people who trust in them, the people who worship them, become spiritually blind, become Spiritually deaf and become spiritually mute. And the thing about all this is, idolatry isn't just a problem for ancient people or a problem for people worshiping, like, for example, Hindu gods over in India, somewhere in Asia today. This is a problem for us all. 1 John, the very last chapter. The very last verse of the book says, Little children, keep yourself from idols. Implying that idolatry is still going to be an issue, even for Christians. One in which we have to guard ourselves from. And when we bow our knee to an idol, when we trust in anything else for ultimate security and identity other than God... We become like that. We become spiritually blind. We become spiritually mute, ignorant, deaf, and dumb. We become foolish like these idols are. They can't do anything. God is our creator, and only he deserves our worship. An idol is just a representation of our human desire, of our desire to be separate from God, our desire to be autonomous from God, to strike out on our own, to try to find our own source of power, our own source of pleasure, our own source of security. These idols that we make are just objects of our own sinful desires. And an, an idol is simply any noun that is a person, place, or thing that we put in the place of God in our hearts where we try to replace Him. And the thing of this is, when we choose to do that, we become like what we worship. When we find our ultimate security in any created thing, not God, we become less than what God has created us for. He's created us in dignity to honor him, to revere him. He's created us as image bearers of his, created the image of God to reflect him, to represent him. And what do you think we reflect when we replace him? We reflect our own sinfulness, our own selfishness. And since we're all sinners, all of us are broken. Still created in the image of God, but just like looking in a mirror where we ought to reflect The image of God in our character, in our love for him, it's a broken image. The image of God is still there, but we need to be renewed. We need to be changed. We need to be transformed so that we reflect his holy character again. Starting from the inside out. Now today in America, you know, we don't typically worship statues, but again, we do have idols. We do have people or places. We have hopes. We have dreams. We have priorities. We have activities, relationships, pleasures, achievements, amusements, possessions that we seek after more than God. Where God is put on the back burner and these things are put on the throne of our hearts. Or we put them on the same level as God, which is just as reprehensible to him. And when we do this, it changes us. We, what we worship changes us. We become more like what we're after our selfish desires come out in our, in our life, what we do, what we say, the decisions that we make. And here are just several everyday examples. I'm borrowing from a book called The Reason for God by Timothy Keller. And he says this, if you center your life, if you worship your life or your If you you try to worship anything other than God, this is what he means. If you center your life or identity on, for example, your spouse or your partner, you will be emotionally dependent on them. You'll be jealous. You'll be controlling. You become like what you worship. Those sinful, selfish desires come out of us, come out of our heart. Jesus so said from the abundance of our heart the mouth speaks if you center your life and identity on your family and children you will try to live your life through your children until they resent you or you have or have no self sense of self on their own if you center your life and identity on your work or career you will be a driven workaholic and a boring shallow person If you center your life and identity on money and possessions, you'll be eaten up with worry or jealousy about money. You'll be willing to do immoral things to maintain your lifestyle, which will eventually blow up your life. If you center your life and identity on pleasure, gratification, and comfort, you will find yourself getting addicted to something or trying to escape into it constantly. If you center your life and identity on relationships and approval, you will constantly be overhurt by criticism or become clingy. That's always losing friends. So you get the point there. Idolatry changes us. It warps the image of God in us. The image of God is still there, but we don't image god in his holy character as he has designed us to image him so we have a problem and it's a sin problem where we constantly worship things other than god and we can see it all around us in the world in which we we live the root problem in the world today it can't be diagnosed it can't be medicated The root problem in the world today isn't just more information or technology or more education. The root problem in the world today is spiritual. We have a worship problem. A problem with directing our worship on created things and not on a holy God who created us. The only way that this problem can be fixed is spiritual. The only way that the problem can be fixed is to start reflecting God's character again by worshiping him. By turning from our idols and acknowledging him as the only one worthy of our worship. And it starts by submitting all of our life, all of our time, all of our treasure, all of our talent, everything that we have to the one who came to rescue us from our idolatry and our sin. And that is Jesus Christ. Jesus came to earth. Jesus is the divine Son of God, and he became a man, fully God and fully man. And he lived a life as such where he always perfectly loved and worshipped God. When he was tempted by the devil in the wilderness, he was taken up to a high place, and the devil said, Look, Jesus, I'll give you all of this the devil being the false ruler of the world, I'll give you all these, this money and this wealth and power, just, just worship me. Jesus never worshiped anything other than God. He always trusted in his heavenly Father. He's fully God. He's also the perfect man, fully man. He showed us what humanity is meant to look like, the image of God. Jesus Christ, and he he did this, he came to earth on a divine rescue mission for you and for me. Colossians 1.15 says, he is the image of the invisible God. So if you want to know what a human being is supposed to look like in the image of God, look at Jesus Christ, worship Jesus Christ. I'm going to read a little bit more about about that. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. So Jesus Christ was the agent of creation. It was through Jesus Christ, the pre-incarnate Son of God, that all of creation was made. The sun and the moon and the stars in the sky, the birds, the sea creatures, all of the animals and you and me. We're created through Jesus Christ and not only through Jesus Christ, but here we're told for Jesus Christ. You're never going to find the purpose of your life trying to fix it by worshiping creation. It's only going to lead into more problems and a more sense of false security. It's only going to lead to hopelessness and brokenness because you are made for Jesus Christ. We are spiritual beings. And until our heart finds rest in Jesus, we will have no rest from within. But this is what Jesus did to make this possible for us. For God was pleased to have all of His fullness dwell in Him, Jesus, and through Him to reconcile everything to Himself, whether things on heaven, in heaven or things on earth, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross. The only way that you can have a right relationship with God. It's through trusting in Jesus and what he did for you on the cross. And it was there that he paid your price. He paid the price of your sin debt, all of your idolatry, all of the ways that you've tried to find your identity and security away from him. He came on a rescue mission to bring you back to God. And that invitation is for you today. If you've yet to trust in Christ for your salvation. If you've yet to call out to him to save you, you can do that today. But it doesn't just end there. It just begins there with a renewed relationship with God. He came so that the broken image of God can be restored in us so what's the ultimate purpose of our lives as those who are followers of Jesus Christ? The ultimate purpose of our life is to be conformed to the image of God in Jesus Christ. We're, we're like a cracked mirror reflecting the image of God through Jesus Christ, our brokenness can be healed and put together again so that now through a relationship with him, through his spirit living inside of us, piece by piece, we're put together and we start to look like Jesus. We start to look like humanity as God originally designed us to look like For his glory and purpose. Get this. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified... He also glorified so God's purpose from eternity past in choosing us was so that we begin to glorify him by being in the image of God this is why Jesus came to make us right with God he justified us we're told and one day he will glorify those who have faith in him that means make them absolutely perfect in his image, shining brightly like the sun and God's holy purity and love. And that's how we'll live forever. But this side of heaven, God is working on us. He's like an artist working on our hearts, working on our minds to help us to change taking away things that don't belong. And it's not as if we're passive in all of this. We have a part to play in all of this. We're called to continually submit our bodies as living sacrifices. We're called to immerse ourselves in the word of God so that our minds may be renewed. We have the mind of Christ the word of God and we're called to think more like God we're called to be more like God and we have the Holy Spirit that this may be possible so believer every single day are you living it for the glory of God are you seeking to be more in his image it's it's not just us following his example though that it is it's us trusting in his power because we don't have the power to do this in and of ourselves. It's yielding to him every single day. It's asking, it's, it's praying, it's seeking. And God promises that the work he's begun in us will be complete. One day we will be glorified. So take hope in that. And right now, it's like this. There, there's a, a story about Michelangelo, the Renaissance paint or painter and artist. He's made a, a statue of David. I believe it's in Rome right now, in the Vatican. I could be wrong about that. But there's this story, not, not sure if, if he actually said this, but it would be something like an artist would say. Someone asked him how... He made this statue, and he said it's simple. Chisel away everything that doesn't look like David. That's exactly what God is doing in our lives right now, and that's what we're called to join him in, to to continually turn away from our idols, turn away from our sins, give those to God, repent of those, And he's the one who's helping us to do that. He's actually the artist that's working in our hearts. Our hearts used to be like stone. He's given us new hearts. He's made us new on the inside. And daily we can live for him. And the image that he's working for in us is the image of Christ. He's chiseling everything away. All the sin, all the idolatry that does not look like Christ. So, this morning we're going to give an imitation time and we're singing a song, Give Us Clean Hands. As you sing this song, what I want you to do is to go, go through this little process resist, rep- repent, pray, and praise. Resist, repent, pray, and praise. What's something in your life that is drawing you away from God? Well, it's time to humble yourself and resist that. It's time to turn away from that in repentance. You do this in your mind and in your heart. And it's also time to ask God for help in overcoming this. Ask God for help, that he would change you, that he would move inside of you. And then praise him when he does. So this morning, as you sing, as you think, as you pray, do that. Turn back to him. We bow our knees. Oh, spirit, come make us humble. We turn our eyes from evil things. Oh, Lord, we cast down our idols. What idols are in your life? that need to be cast down. And sometimes it can be literal. Some things need to be just got away in your life, got rid of in your life. Stuff you're watching, stuff you're looking at, need to get rid of it. Stuff you're consuming, need to get rid of it. there are idols that, that you need to cast down this morning? Let's go to human prayer. Father, I pray, Lord, for the power that we need that this may happen in our life a power that only you can provide lord god i pray that our desires will be more for you and less for our idols created things that are not you lord god help us to join you in the in the work that you are doing inside of us to glorify christ and make us more like jesus and i pray if there's someone here who's still apart from you, who's still dead in their sins. Lord, I pray that today would be the day that they would trust in you for salvation. They would turn from their sins. Lord, thank you for your love for us, and thank you that you always want what's best for us, even though sometimes it's painful to put things away. Lord, help us to know that it's good. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Will you stand? you can be seated. And it was great to worship with you today. Just one uh, quick reminder, uh, tonight we're having our business meeting at 6, right here in the FLC, and then the deacon meeting will be preceding that at 4 o'clock. Let me close out with uh, a benediction, one of my favorites in scripture from the book of Jude. To get there, I actually took out my marker on accident. Here we go. Jude 24. Now to Him who is able to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of His glory without blemish and with great joy, to the only God our Father, or, I'm sorry, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory majesty, power, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. God bless you.